Right, we've been in our Dream Builder series for uh, six, this is our seventh week in this series, and it's been, it's been a great series, looking at what it means to be a thriving church, what it means to uh, put God in the right place, put the church in the right place, and put us as individuals in the right place, so we understand our relationship to each other and our relationship uh, to God. We want to be dream builders. We want to be dreamers who dream big dreams because of who God is, and we want to build those dreams. We want to ask God for the courage and you know to, to to step out into those dreams that he gives us this is right yeah yes. have you got that from the series yes. hopefully you have some of you have that's great the only way we can do this is by partnering with god in this we have to we have to submit to his rule god speaking through the uh, prophet isaiah uh, he said this he said for my thoughts are not your thoughts Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So, God has thoughts. God has, thinks, he has an imagination. He has a vision. If you, if you like, he has dreams. And he wants to give those thoughts to us. And he also has ways, God has ways. He has ways of turning those thoughts and dreams into a reality. So we have to partner with God in order to, be, uh, to, to live the life that he's given us to live, to live our life with a God-given purpose. We have to submit ourselves uh, to him. The highest thoughts and dreams are what he has, and the highest uh, ways belong to God. And so he wants us to get a, a better perspective of who he is. He wants us to get the right perspective of who he is, who he reveals himself in scripture to be. We've just been singing a lot about who he is. And it's important that we understand these truths because when we understand who he is, we'll understand ourselves that much better as well. And we'll be able to uh, uh, dream those dreams and build those dreams through the power of the Holy Spirit and to be all that he's calling us to be and to do all that he's calling us to do. So last week, uh, we gave you the opportunity to, kind of, as Fru just said, to formalize that commitment, to sign the uh, little card that says, yes, I want to be a dream builder. I want to partner with this community, with this church in, in doing what this church does. I want to dream together with all these people and be part of what this church is doing. That's really essentially what being a dream builder uh, is, to be um, committed to one another. Can be committed to this thing that we call Sunny Hill or Sunny Hill Ferndown even. It's not a heavy-handed thing at all. We're not, we're not asking for your credit card details. <laughs> okay? We are, we're just inviting you to do probably what you're doing already, but to formalize that and to, and to kind of make a commitment uh, to that. And then we are committing to you as a staff and as a, as a leadership team, we're committed to invite you into the conversation to think about, okay, well, how are we going to move forward? And there'll be opportunities to discuss these things kind of going forward. Uh, but we have to remember Psalm 127, which says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Okay, so yes, we're going to do our bit, but unless the Lord is in charge, unless he's the foreman, unless he's, he's got the plans then we'll labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Now together, together with each other and together with God, we can build more effectively. We can plan better, like we saw last week. We don't build without first planning and counting the cost. Remember, every dream has a cost. And if we want to build, we have to first put the plans in place. I, 
heard a story this week about an arrogant young guy who went to work on a building site and every day he was kind of showing off his muscles and he was, he was comparing himself to all the other workers, all the older workers, and he was telling them how much more he could carry, how much more he could do, how much better he was, he, he was at all this stuff. And one day, and he was really taking it out, particularly on one of, the, one of the older workers, this guy, and he was getting frustrated, this older guy. And eventually the, the older guy said, look, okay, let's put your money where your mouth is. I bet you one week's wages that I can take this wheelbarrow and carry something over to the, to the barn over there in the wheelbarrow that you will not be able to wheel back without help. And the young guy looks at this older guy and he thinks, nah, there's no way that can happen. He said, okay, yeah, you're on. Yeah, yeah let's see what you've got. And so the guy, the older guy, picks up the wheelbarrow, looks at the young guy and says, okay, jump in. <laughs> there it is, there it is. So here at Sunny Hill, we want to build a culture, and it's not that we want to uh, be arrogant about what we're doing. We don't want to say it's all about me or it's all about us. We want to partner with God. We want to be humble. We want to come before him humbly, asking him to give us the dreams and asking him to give us the ways to build those dreams. So here at Sunny Hill, we want to build a culture. And this is the culture that uh, Sunny Hill uh, really is kind of running with. Uh, three things that we've been looking at. And this is a, a praying culture or a culture of God first. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. We want to be a church who prays first. It's not a last resort, it's our first response. We want to be a praying church. The second thing, we want to be a serving church. We want to be, uh, create a culture of honor. Honoring one another and honoring God through service. Honoring each other and honoring God. So, and then the third thing we do, we want a, a culture of sowing or a culture of generosity. And this is what we were looking at last week. Now, as I was uh, kind of gaining my devotionals this week, I came across this passage in Romans 12, which actually sums up those three ideas brilliantly. Uh, it said this from Romans 12, from verse 10, says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What a great thing. Outdo one another. Make it a, a competition almost to outdo one another in showing each other honor, in serving one another. And then he carries on. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This is what my mom was just saying. We're not passive. We're active. We're, we're not slothful, lazy in our zeal. We're active in our zeal. We try, we put all our energy into doing this, into serving one another and serving the Lord. And then it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Prayer is not something we come to when we're just about to uh, kind of crash and burn. We want to be praying constantly. Pray, as Paul says, without ceasing. Want to be people who have that connection to God, are in communion with God, listening to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Uh, what does it say in Galatians? Walking with the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, listening to Him. Uh, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So we've kind of got uh, prayer, we've got serving, and we've got being generous. We've got sowing as well. It's all summed up in these two verses. Uh, constant in prayer, showing honor and serve, and con contribute and seek to show hospitality. Now in recent weeks, we've been unpacking these three areas, these three dream builder behaviors. And last week, we were looking at creating a culture of generosity. And we started by exploring what I call the, the building blocks of generosity, the things that we have to get right first, the three mindsets 
that we have to establish in order to become a church that has a culture of generosity. Okay, so the first thing uh, that we unpacked last week was it's not mine. So the first building block, we've got to have this mindset. It's not mine. We are stewards, not owners of what God gives us. We are stewards, not, not owners of the blessing that he pours into us, that he gives us. So the things that we have, the money that comes in, our wealth, the things that we own, our home, our car, we need to think of ourselves differently. We need to think of ourselves as as stewards, not as owners. We take Jesus' words to his disciples that we looked at last week as a model. He said, those of you who do not give up everything, everything you, you have, cannot be my disciple. Give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. We have to give up everything. And I don't think in that he's saying we have to kind of go home today and put everything that we own on eBay and then live on the streets homeless and, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't think he's saying to do that. I think what he's saying is you need to have a different mindset about your stuff. You need to consider uh, and asking, maybe asking the question daily, what can I do with the stuff that you've given me today, God? How can I serve you with what you've given me, what you've provided me with, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, just asking God, how can, I, how can I serve you with what you've given me? We're not waiting until we have more. God expects us to put whatever we have to good use. In the uh, parable of the talents, we all know he didn't give the guy with one talent a break. He didn't say, because you've only got one, you don't have to. You know, he expected him to do the same as the guy with five talents and the, and the guy with ten talents. All right, the second building block of generosity is, I am blessed. This is the mindset that we need to have. We need to think about our lives perhaps differently. We need to make a shift in the way that we think about ourselves. And rather than having a a poverty mindset, rather than thinking, oh, I always want more, I always need a little bit more, we need to just look at what we've got and say, I am blessed. Whether we feel like we've got a little or whether we feel like we've got a lot, we need to say, I am blessed. The Bible tells us that that we are blessed and enriched in every way, and then he goes on, so that we can be generous on every occasion. God wants us to be blessed so that we can be generous with what he's given us. Not so that we can say, look at me, I've, I've got everything. It's, he will provide what we need, but he says, I bless you and enrich you so that you can be generous on every occasion. Remember he said, we looked at that scripture last week, give, these were Jesus' words, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. When we look at our lives and we live in that constant state of gratitude for what we have, when we thank God for the position he's put us in, this is, this is the thing that leads to contentment. The contentment that Paul points out. He says, uh, I have learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. Because being blessed is not a circumstance. It's a mindset. And often the mindset leads to the circumstance. But living a blessed life is a mindset. We can choose to look at our lives in this way. And then the third and final building block that we didn't quite get to last week that we're carrying on today is I give to God first or I put God first. And I want to unpack this in the, in the time that we've got left. Uh, so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does this whole section on the three words, do not 
worry. A whole, like a big paragraph on do not worry. He says, do not worry about what you wear. Do not worry about what you've got. Do not worry about your food. Do not worry about your clothes. Do not worry about what you're going to drink. He's saying, do not worry about your life. And maybe this is something that some of us in here need to hear today. Do not worry worry and I'm going to tell you what Jesus says to do instead in just a moment but before we get onto that we need to grasp this idea about not worrying because this isn't just a suggestion Jesus isn't saying I suggest or uh, maybe you could not worry he's saying explicitly don't worry about this stuff because the truth is if you worry about this stuff you're going to make decisions based on that worry your life is going to look like Whatever you're worried about, because you're going to make decisions about the things you're worried about. And it will affect everything you do. Jesus in the passage says, pagans run after these things. What does he mean by that? We're saying people from a different culture, from a different kingdom. People who aren't in the kingdom culture. People who, don't, who aren't believers. People who, who, who haven't taken Jesus as their saviour, people who don't live in this kingdom, they run after all those things, you know, thinking about what they're going to worry, uh, sorry, what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink. They worry after these things, but we don't need to do that. So Jesus is saying, do not worry. It's, it's a constant bombardment, isn't it? We, the world is trying to get us to worry about these things. In the news, they're always trying to paint a a tragic picture of life because we know that bad news sells much more so than good news and so they want us to feel worried about things but Jesus says do not worry the pagans run after all these things these were Jesus' words and your heavenly father knows that you need them do not worry the pagans run after these things the pagans worry about these things uh, but your heavenly father knows that you need them your heavenly father knows what you need that's why we don't need to worry. Paul writing to the Philippian church, he takes it a step further. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So not only does God know what you need, we need to understand that he will give us everything that we need. Maybe not everything that we want, but he will give us everything that we need. And then he tells us to do what to do instead of worrying. Okay, so in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not worry. And then he says, but, but, so do not worry, but. So this is instead of worrying, instead of chasing after these things, instead of running after the same things that other people run after, instead of doing, uh, approaching your life the same way that the world approaches their life, instead of that, but seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now there are two ways you can read this verse. You can go. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. That's one way of looking at it. But there's another way. Which I think is probably the right way. Which is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about these things. You don't have to think about those things. It's like, God will take care of that. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Don't run after the things that the world runs after. 
Don't run after the things that the world tells you to, to seek, but seek first. This, this word first is the Greek word uh, proton, which simply means above all else. Before you do anything else, before you, uh, before you do whatever, seek. Okay, so seek first. In the first instance, we put God first. So how do we do this? How do we, we're talking about kind of our wealth and what we have. How do we put God first with our wealth? Well, I'm going to give you some uh, scriptures today because what you can't do when you're talking about this is take a single scripture and uh, and get all the truth that you need from that. You need to look at the, uh, the, the whole of Scripture. So we're going to read the whole Bible today. Is that all right? Um, but we're going to start in uh, Proverbs. I'm not going to be too long. Probably, I know that probably panics you a little bit there. Proverbs 3. This is King Solomon, probably the smartest guy or certainly arguably the smartest guy who lived and certainly arguably the richest guy who lived. This was a guy who had wealth and, and knew what to do with it. He said this. He said, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So we all want to honor the Lord with our wealth. How do we do that? With the first fruits of all your crops. Now, obviously, uh, in, in the olden times, they were an agricultural economy and the crops were what they grew. That was, this was their income. This is what they had crops, grain, oil, wine. Uh, they, they grew things. Saying honor with the first fruit of all your crops. How do we put first? We give him the first fruit. And the first fruit, you've probably come across this, you've read, if you've read the Bible for any length of time, you've come across these word, this word first fruits. Because it's all over the Bible. It's a universal principle that God established from the beginning of time. It's not an Old Testament principle. It's not a Mosaic law principle, although it was included in the Mosaic law. It's a God principle to honor him with the first and the best of what we have. And we can see this right from the beginning of our Bible. So back to Genesis. We all know what happens in Genesis. Uh, God, we've just kind of seen you know, all those pictures of creation. God makes creation. He makes the trees and the, the animals. And then he makes humans. And he said it's very, very good uh, at what he's done. And then we know that Adam and Eve, they sin and they get sent from the garden. And then in chapter 4, we read that they start to have children. And this is what happens. And Adam made love to his wife Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Now, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So this is right at the beginning of things. The first babies that are born, Cain and Abel. It's a strange passage. It's, it's kind of difficult, isn't it? There's, there's tension in this passage because Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering. One was acceptable and one was not. And God says to Cain, if you do what's right, you will be accepted. But if you don't, then sin is crouching at your door. 
You see, oh, like that last sentence, you must rule over it because money and wealth is a powerful thing. It is. We have to guard our hearts when it comes to money and wealth. It's a powerful motive. Jesus talks pretty much more about wealth and possessions and owning stuff than anything else. Because it's the thing that we often put our trust in instead of putting our trust where it should be in God. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. And what is he talking about? He's comparing money or mammon, which is the economy, the wealth and owning stuff. He's saying you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and things. You can't serve both God and wealth and, and trying to get more stuff. It doesn't work. You will trust one over the other. You will put one above the other when you do this. If you're worrying about money, if you're worrying about food, worrying about your needs, your drink and your clothes, then you are not putting your faith in God. Now the writer to the Hebrews, he sheds a bit more light into what's going on here uh, with Cain and Abel. He says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. All right, so there's the first thing. Abel's offering was better. Why was it better? Well, by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So it's to do with faith. With Abel's offering, he demonstrated his trust in God. And also, this, what it says here, by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. This is not just a story that happened thousands of years ago that we look at and go, that's a nice story. Uh, Abel is still speaking to us. We still learn from this today because actually the same issues still exist in society today. The same uh, propensity to go towards wealth and to trust in wealth rather than to trust in God. And this is... there's. This story is always going to be relevant to us while there's this tension between God and wealth. And the language is really important in the Cain and Abel story. In the course of time, it says Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And I think what it's saying is Cain's gift is kind of generic, it's like, yeah, well, what have I got? Oh, yeah, let me just yeah, give some of that. I'll give some of that. Well, Abel is like, no, it's intentional. I'm going to give the first. I'm going to give the first. I'm going to give the best bit, the fat portions. I'm going to give the first and the best. And this is what God is looking for. This is what we, when you're talking about first fruits, he's talking about the first and the best of our stuff. How do we honor God with our wealth? We give him the first and we give him the best. This is the principle. It's not so much the quality or the quantity. It's what's going on in the heart that really matters. It's what's going on in the heart. Because, because giving to God is never or shouldn't ever be a maths issue. It's always a heart issue. It's not a math thing. It's a heart thing. 
In Luke 21, we've got Jesus. He's hanging out at the temple with his disciples. And, he's, and it seems like he's just sat there and he's watching people bring their offerings into the temple. And it says this, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Because it's not a maths issue. It's a heart issue. It's not about the quantity. It's about the condition of our heart. And when Abel gave in faith, he was saying, God, I am returning to you the first bit the firstborn, and the best bit, the fat portions, I'm returning to you, and I'm going to trust that you will look after me. That's where faith is when we give. I give you the first and best, and I trust that you're going to give me what I need. Now, Dom and Lou, they did a whole um, evening session this week. I don't know if anybody caught it. Uh, they did a live session on, on giving and about um, giving a biblical, biblical perspective on, on tithing, what it means, how to approach it. It's a pretty comprehensive seminar. It's on, it's on Sunny Hill's YouTube channel if anybody wants to catch, that, catch up that. Um, I don't want you to get put off by this word tithing. Okay? The word tithe is, is simply means uh, tenth. Um, it's a strange word that we don't use in any other sphere of society. We only ever use it in church. And it's, it's just an old-fashioned Hebrew word that means tenth. But I don't want to spend much time on this concept because you can watch the video if you want. For my own part, I have, some, I have my own thoughts on this, about how we should give to God. This is what God said to Moses about the tithe when he was giving the nation of Israel the law. He said, you must set aside a tithe or a tenth of your crops, one tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe, this tenth, to the designated place of worship. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now, there are loads of scriptures about tithing, mostly in the Old Testament, I've got to say. And it, I just think it can be a little bit confusing. Because sometimes it's mentioned as a tithe that you bring for the priest. Sometimes it's mentioned as a tithe you bring to the Levites, the workers in the temple. Sometimes it's mentioned as uh, it's stuff you've grown. Sometimes it's mentioned as animals. Uh, sometimes it's yeah, bringing the firstborn of your flocks and herds. I think, uh, was it my, I think my dad at some point worked out that under the old covenant, there were, it was like various tithes that actually all added up to about 23%. I don't want to get bogged down in, in numbers. Sometimes in the Old Testament you were instructed to bring your tithe to the place of worship and eat it and celebrate together to have a feast. Sometimes the message to God's people was you haven't been giving in this way and therefore you are robbing God. That's what the scripture says at this point. You are robbing God when you don't do it. It actually says that the first tenth belongs to God, and if you haven't brought it, you've robbed God. That doesn't sound like a good place to be. So most of the scriptures about tithing, they're in the Old Testament, and we know that the new covenant is built on grace. So there's a difference. It's not built on law. So if you were to ask me, Adam, do I have to tithe? I would categorically say no. You don't have to tithe. Your salvation your eternity, your right standing with God is not affected by whether or not you bring 10%. It doesn't, it, there's nothing that we do that can affect that. We're saved by grace, through faith, not by works. Although once we're saved, 
It does lead to works. So if you were to ask me, do I have to tithe? I would say, no. But if you ask me, is it good to give to God? Is it good to honor God with my wealth? I would say, yes. It absolutely is. It's good to give our first and our best. This is a universal principle because God still wants us to honor him with our wealth. He still wants us to honor him with what we have. He still wants us to have the right relationship with our money and bringing our first fruits, bringing the first and the best keeps that relationship right. That's what scripture tells me and that's my experience of this. Remember, it's a heart issue. It's not a maths issue. And I think we try and turn it into a maths issue all the time. And maybe you've heard preachers say you've got to, you've got to do, you've got to give a tenth. You've got to do this. And I would say, you know, whatever they think, we've got to give cheerfully. Okay, and sometimes when, you, when you're focusing on the maths, it stops us bringing cheerfully what we're giving. And that's more important, I think. It's a heart issue, not a maths issue. The Pharisees, they tried to turn it into a maths issue. And here's my illustration. Basil. Basil. It's supposed to be mint, but they didn't have any mint. I should have got a... You did say they wouldn't have mint. Um, The Pharisees try to turn it into a maths issue. This is what uh, uh, Jesus says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your basil. (laughs) But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And it's just this ridiculous approach. This maths approach, oh, the, the Pharisees looking at their plant and, you know, not only their crops, but they're looking at their herb garden and they go, oh, how many leaves have I got on here? Oh, I've got, I've got 100 leaves. That means I have to break off 10 leaves to give as my tithe. Okay, and it becomes so picky and finicky and just a maths thing instead of a heart thing. And Jesus said, don't make it a maths thing. When you make it a maths thing, you forget the more important stuff, the justice and the mercy and the faithfulness, the love that you show to people, the way you honor people, the service, serving one another. Don't do that. So what about tithing then? Giving a tenth. I've already said that categorically you don't have to do it. It's not a requirement. Why do we talk about it? I actually just think it's a helpful place to start. And that's been our experience. It's not a law thing, but it's a helpful place to start. And I can tell you from our experience that deciding to offer God the first and the best of our income, it changed. It didn't just change our money circumstance. It changed our life. Back in 2007, I remember a few weeks ago, I told you about me when I started the, uh, the business and I built the website and did all that and then it flopped. I got no work and we were in massive debt at this point. We were like £20,000 in debt. We had credit cards. We were living well above our income and uh, we had a visiting speaker came to our church back then and he spoke on this idea of first fruits and he used the uh, scripture from Malachi uh, which is the one that says when you don't tithe you're robbing God and he said if you do tithe I will open the storehouse of heaven or the windows of heaven and bless you 
And he says, test me in this. He actually says, test me. So in, in the law, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But there's this one scripture in the Bible that says, when it comes to money, we get to test him. We get to try it and see if he's faithful in this way. And Fru and I came home from that service and we decided that we were going to tithe, even though we had always felt like we couldn't afford it. We can't afford to do it. So we decided, let, let's do it. Let's, let's just give the first and the best. And let's start, let's do 10% because it's there. It's, I know it's old covenant, it's the law, but let's, let's start with that. And so we did. And immediately a big bill came in and we're like, okay, so we can't tithe this month. And then we talked about it. No, 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 we've already decided we're going to do, give to God first. And we did. And I can't tell you what happened with the bill. It got paid somehow. But I can tell you that from that point on, things changed in our home. Things changed, didn't it? it and I can't describe, I can't tell you the maths of it because it doesn't, the maths don't work. We were both self-employed. I was a self-employed musician, for goodness sake. There was a point that we had a, a financial advisor come to help us kind of secure another mortgage. And he looked at what we had and the house that we had and he said, you shouldn't have this. Looking at your, your finances, you shouldn't, I don't know how you've got this. And we're, you know, we don't know either. It's kind of weird. There's a weird things that goes on in the kingdom economics when we put God first, when we give him the first and the best. And this first principle, it works in many other areas of life as well. So every day, both Fru and I, we get up early in the morning and the first thing we do, six o'clock, we open our Bibles before we go on our phone, before we go on anything else, we spend time with God because actually this is the best. I want to give God the first and best of my day before anything else. The week, Sunday comes along. Sunday's the first day of the week as far as I'm concerned and I want to give Sundays why I'm here first on a Sunday morning, ready, setting up, getting ready for for this, I love this. But I want to give God the first and my best of the week. Every year, we start each year with a, with a fast and a week of prayer and fasting. And we'll be doing it again for 2023. The first week of 2023, we're going to set aside and we'll do a fast. And we're going to live for that, with that discomfort for a week because we want to give God the first and best because this is my first fruits, God. And I know that when I give him the first of the year, all those other things I don't have to think about. He will, he will take care of the rest. I put, seek first his kingdom. And all those other things will be given to us. And it's good to give the first and best of our income to, of our wealth. It keeps our attitudes right and our thoughts right around our wealth. It puts it in the right perspective. And probably give is the wrong word anyway. Remember we start with that first building block was it's not mine. So what we're doing when we give in this way, we're returning to God. Uh, Jesus put it like this. When the Pharisees tried to trap him, they said, should we pay Caesar's tax? Should we pay our tax to Caesar? Uh, and Jesus said, well, whose image is on the coin? Whose inscription is on the coin? And they replied, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, well, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Give back, return to Caesar what is Caesar's, and return to God what is God. This is God's already. So I'm just going to return to him the first and the best. I want to live under that open heaven that he promised. And when I tested him, when, and we've known various people who have tested him in this way, 
who have all come out of it like, wow, I'm living under God's blessing now. One more point, and then uh, we're going to finish. Giving God our first and our best, it writes us into the story of God. We don't want to bring some like Cain. Cain's approach was, oh, I'll rummage around in my pockets and see what I've got here. Oh, yeah, let's put that. Let's give that. I don't want to be like that. We don't want to do that. We want to bring the fat portion, the first and the best. And I've heard it spoken about like this, you know, planned giving. So we decide in advance what we're going to give. Priority giving. I'm going to give to God first before anything else. Percentage giving. It's always good to set a percentage uh, because then you can be disciplined in that. And then progressive giving. I want to grow that percentage. I want to start, start here and then just get more and more as I see God working in my life. And then finally, I want to do prompted giving as well. So planned, priority, percentage, progressive and prompted because sometimes God put lay somebody on your heart to give to or you see a cause that you want to give to as well now when we give like this when we're generous generosity writes us into God's story Abel Abel was written into the story and it says that he still speaks to us today because he wrote into the story the widow who gave her two her two copper coins she was written into the story because of her generosity. The kid who brought five loaves and two fish and gave his pat lunch on that day when there were 5,000 people, he just gave what he had. It wasn't much, but he gave what he had. And he's written into the story. The, the lady who uh, kind of fell at Jesus' feet and poured perfume on his feet, a year's wages worth of perfume she poured on his feet. She's written into the story. In fact, uh, it says in the Bible uh, this, uh, Jesus said, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Returning the first and the best to God and trusting him to bless the rest and provide all we need. It gets God's attention and it writes us into his story. And with dream builders, we want to be in his story. We want to be dreaming his dreams and we want to be building his plans. We want to be thinking what he's got for us not what we can do in our own capacity. And if we're looking for God to move in our life, I think God moves on the back of generosity. God moves on a step of faith. When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, we don't have to worry about all that other stuff. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to finish. Lord God, we thank you for your words this morning. We thank you for your truth. I pray that it'll be your heart that is ringing in people's ears right now. Lord, if I've said something out of kilter with your heart, Lord, I pray that you'll remove that from people's minds. But God, I pray that you would give people a sense of purpose and we know this is a generous church Lord God I pray that you would bring blessing on on everybody here Lord God everybody who's part of this church that you would bless not that they would find themselves suddenly richer God but they would they would be able to be more generous they would we would be a generous church we would be an outward looking church and an others looking and others focused church well may we see your kingdom come as we seek it first In your name we pray. Amen.